The first reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and beginning at verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself, for us, uh, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you realise just how on point it is that a day after the grandparents' conference and whilst Wollongong is apparently cycling mad, we just had the grandparents of the new national under-17 time trial champion read the Bible. So that's pretty cool, right? That's on point. Congratulations to you guys. Didn't Nate do a great job? As I read Ephesians 5, I was just humbled and challenged. And so I'm just going to pray and then get straight into it. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, would you teach us your ways? Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit, which we learnt last week in Ephesians 4, descended uh, bringing Christ to us, bringing your very presence to us, opening our minds, opening our hearts and conforming us to his likeness. May he be with us. May he guide my words. May he guide all our ears and hearts so we would hear what you would like us to hear and desire us to hear and not hear the things that might be fluff coming out of me. Gracious Father, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's the message today. The message is discipleication is a walk of three. Discipleication is a walk of three. And already you've said, what on earth is discipleication? So let's look into this word, discipleication, which uh, as we look at the first two verses of Ephesians 5, we will gain some kind of an understanding of discipleication is the multiplication of disciples. And honestly, it's not new, it's simply what disciples do. Disciples are multipliers of disciples, and rather than have to say all those words, we'd rather just say disciplication. Here's how it works. Let's look at Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 together. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the ways of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There are a couple of really important words here and I've highlighted them for you. Follow, walk, and just as Christ. Being a disciple starts with rejecting that worldly concept that it's a bad idea to be a follower. In fact, discipleship insists on being a follower. Sometimes you'll hear the phrase, don't be a sheep. Yet how often do the scriptures refer to the people of God as sheep? Following is not shameful, following is noble. Following is where discipleship starts. And so whilst we might have lots to say about leadership, which is important, it starts with followership. Disciples follow. Disciples walk. So we're told to walk in the way of love. This language of walk tells us something about what it is to be a disciple. It's not just about what you know. That might be a student's to learn the things. 
This concept of walking is to be patterned, to be shaped, to have a whole of life, to have heart, character, manner of the one you follow reproduced in you. That your walk might be shaped and patterned after their walk. After whose walk? Well, that's where just as comes in handy. Just as Christ loved us. You see, if we are to be followers of God and we think, well, what would that look like? It's not just to know God's things, but it's to have a heart, manner, and way that is like God. How will we do that? Look at our disciple maker. Look at Jesus Christ and be just as him. Here's why discipleship is a walk of three. Because even in this passage, you can see there is God, Christ, and you. God, Christ, and you. And if we are to be disciples as Christ followed his father, and if we pattern ourselves on him, then Christ was always calling someone after him. And so as disciples, what will we look like? Followers of Christ and people calling others to follow as well. This is why we speak of disciplication. Because true disciples of Christ understand disciplication is a walk of three. It's about who you follow and it's about calling others to come as well. Discipleication is the multiplying of disciples and it's a walk of three. And here is a very important concept we're going to explore. Discipleication is about being close to Jesus for the transformation of people rather than being close to people for the transformation of Jesus. Do you see the dangerous distinction? This is making sure your fellowship is in order first and that you're faithful in leading. Discipleication is about being close to Jesus for the transformation of people rather than close to people for the transformation of Jesus. I hope I've shown you discipleication is indeed a walk of three. In this walk of three, I want to show you with our remaining time three essential steps that Paul teaches us in Ephesians as we think about what it is to be disciples following Christ and calling others to follow as well. Here's the first step. Step close. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, step close. Let's look at the next part of the Bible, verses 3 to 7. And in verses 3 to 7, we read, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. We're reminded, as we come to this part of Ephesians, of what we're called to be. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we were told that we were chosen and grafted into God's chosen people for what? To be holy and blameless. The blood of Christ has made us holy. And so we start here saying, wow, in Christ we've been made alive. In Christ we are God's holy people. So when someone says, how did you get holy? Say, by grace and grace alone. I was dead in sin and transgression. But God, who is abounding in love, rich in mercy and gracious, he made me alive in Christ, gave me this new status, declared me holy, and called me to be 
blameless. So how do do we get holy? God makes us holy by his grace. What does it mean to be holy? Here's where close matters. Holy, many of us know, is to be set apart, right? Not common, but set apart. The temple of God was a set apart building. It wasn't just another building in Jerusalem. No, it was a set apart building as Jerusalem, the holy city, was a set apart city in the land of Israel. But it's not just about being set apart. Holy is about proximity. And so if you have to explore the concept of God's holy temple with me, you can see this on display. The front door or the gates of the temple are holy, but they're not as holy as the holy place. And the holy place is not as holy as the holy of holies. And what makes the holy of holies holier than the holy place, and what makes the holy place holier than the front door, is proximity. Because in the holy of holies, here was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was said that God's presence would dwell between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Holiness is not just being set apart from what is common, it's being set to and set close to God. And so when Ephesians 1.4 calls us to be blameless, and when Ephesians 4.1 tells us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, we're talking about being the blameless people, that is the people who walk consistently with their holy status. And to be holy is to be close. And so we are a people, if we're going to be in this disciplication journey, we've got to walk close to Jesus close to Jesus for the transformation of people rather than close to people for the transformation of Jesus. Step close, step holy. How do we do that? Well, Paul has some explicit examples as he speaks of sexual immorality, greed, and other sorts of issues. Now, you might go, yeah, I'd I'd avoid them like the plague. But they creep in quite easily, don't they? Now, nothing I've put on the screen here are things that I must confess, I participate in all of these things. I don't play cricket, but I play sport. I participate in all of these things, but in all of these things, I want to encourage you, holy people of God, have your filter on. You might say, sexual immorality, I don't get involved in that, and I avoid pornography like the plague. I hope you do. One of my favourite shows, in fact... Someone might rebuke me for this later, but I wanted everyone to know that I'm not a hater. I wanted everyone to know that if you think I'm a hypocrite, you're probably right. I'm wearing friend's socks that I got for Father's Day because my family know how much I loved this show, particularly in the noughties. But man, is this show a place for sexual immorality. Every person on this show is promiscuous. There's all kinds of issues in the way they speak. Blasphemy is their favorite way to exclaim. But they're all just so likable. They're just so likable. I dreamed of one, you know, I would love to be in this space where, you know, with your friends and stuff like that. But this is one of the spaces where sexual immorality becomes friendly and comes knocking and you, you just don't see it. I'm not here this morning to say, you can't watch Friends anymore. 
But I would say to you, do you watch these sorts of shows with a filter on? Are you able to discern where the sexual immorality takes place? Or is the comfort of a PG rating a space where we walk in and don't even realise as we're being seduced to other things? Should you search my wallet, you will find a credit card. And I'm not saying we can't have credit cards. Some might say that. I'm not saying that. But I would say, shouldn't we be cautious about borrowing money that's not ours to get stuff that we perceive we need? Or should we be content with what God has providentially given us? Now, that might be a conversation to have, and some people who know how to manage money better than I do might have further opinions on that. But my caution is, when we speak of greed, do we recognise it when it comes into our midst? Uh, Music is a place where all kinds of impurity can come in because it just sounds so good and it's enjoyable. And before you nod and think, yes, these youngsters with the gangster rap and all that sort of thing, I've heard what the Beach Boys sang about. Go, well, <laughs> maybe if you don't believe me, go back, check out some of the lyrics that were alive in the 50s. There are some beautiful, melodical ways to celebrate impurity. And a little bit of banter or sledging might just be a fun way to gather with one another in foolish talk and coarse joking. It's easy how it comes into our midst. I'm not here to condemn any of these activities, but here to warn, here to say God's called us to be his holy people and to not have a hint of these sorts of things. So do we choose to continue in them? Or will we draw close to Jesus, holy and set apart? As the passage continues, and let's read on, uh, in verses, uh, I think it's verses 4 onward, here we are, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now you read that and you might think, oh no, my own pastor is here wearing friend socks. Will I see him in the kingdom? We don't want to reduce our understanding of scripture at this point back to what we've been talking We've been talking about being saved by grace through faith. We don't, we don't want to come to a space where now we say, ah, oh, but if you do these things, you won't be saved. So let's read carefully the language of inheritance and God's wrath. Perhaps this echoes back to books like Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, the people were told, when you come into the land that I'm giving you, if you obey my commandments, you'll be blessed. Blessed when you go in, blessed when you come out, you'll have babies, thousands of babies, your rooms will be overflowing with babies, your crops will be wonderful, things will go really well for you. But if you disobey me, you find your crops, I won't provide for you in that way, you'll miscarry and you'll be under curse. See, there's an echo here, because for the people of Israel, it wasn't just going into the land. The promise to Abraham was not just a promise for land, it was land, offspring and blessing. To receive the full inheritance of God wasn't just to be in a geographical location. It was to live under God, to enjoy the full blessings that their Heavenly Father had provided for them. And I think in the same way here we're learning, if your response to what I showed you before, where I said be careful of some of your favourite TV shows and some of your favourite songs and some of your favourite sports and some of your favourite pastimes, you went, man, we can't do anything, then instead hear how the scripture describes it as 
rather than do these things that seem so pleasing to your eyes and so fun to do, don't forsake your inheritance. Your inheritance is to be amongst the people of God, living God's way and enjoying the full richness of being God's person. Don't be deceived and think, no, I want to do the fun stuff. God's stuff is the fun stuff. God's stuff is better than the fun stuff. God's stuff is the whole stuff. If we learn from the pattern of Israel, we can see that God is slow to anger. That we come into his people, into his land, but if we're disobedient, we won't experience the fullness of his blessing. And whilst God is slow to anger, God's not a pushover. Eventually, he took those people out of his land. But as we read earlier, he is a God who loves to forgive and welcomes us back when we come to him. Have the fullness of God by walking closely to Jesus. Here's a question that might help. As you make decisions about where to go, what to watch, what to listen to, and all that sort of stuff, remind yourself, I'm close to Jesus right now. And ask yourself, would I go there with Jesus? Would I watch that with Jesus? Would Jesus laugh at that joke? Holiness is about stepping close. Discipleication has another step to it, for there are three at least. And the next step is to step bright. We're going to look at verses 8 to 14 to learn what it is to step bright because there is a danger. As we talk about stepping holy, you might think, okay, let's hunker down into a holy, a holy huddle in the bomb shelter and have nothing to do with anybody. But stepping bright challenges us to do more. Let's go into the text from verses 8. We're told that we were once amongst darkness. And what's the summary of the warning? Don't go back. Do you remember early in Ephesians where Paul says of the Jews, yeah, we had God's law. But just like the rest, we were under God's wrath. Why? Because just like the rest, we were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, doing what made sense to us and not obeying God. We were dead. We're in darkness. God says to us here, you've been saved. You've been made alive in Christ. Don't go back. And what we know about light and dark is that darkness doesn't overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. But how easy is it sometimes in our life, as we want to be the holy people of God, and to be holy is to be set apart as well as to be close. Here's another way you can describe being set apart. To be weird. Right? Set apart things, unusual things, are weird. And so there's a bit of a weirdness that comes with being holy. And sometimes in that weirdness we feel amongst darkness, rather than have light shine, we adjust ourselves just to dim down and fit into the darkness a little better. But that's not what God tells us to do in Ephesians 5. Now in Ephesians 5, he says this. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Here's some challenging verses for some of our friendships. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. It doesn't say have nothing to do with people, 
But it does say, I have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather, and here's a challenge, expose them. Do you find that challenging? I find that challenging. Have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but rather, as children of light, you're going to shine on them, expose them. Close to Jesus for the transformation of people, rather than close to people for the transformation of Jesus. Showing the true Jesus to a world that needs to know. Sometimes we think the highest good is to be liked by everybody, but Jesus told us that's not right. Jesus told us the highest good is to live for God, to glorify him and enjoy him and his blessings, to receive the full inheritance. And that means living in a world and showing the world a better way. Now, when we hear language like expose them, you might think that means... Ha ha! Point everybody out for what they're doing wrong. Sorry, I'll wake you up. I saw some you sit up like that. Maybe I should do that some more. Maybe there's a time for that. But here's how I've I think in the passage here there's a really helpful way to understand what it is to expose or to shine lights. How do we engage with a world that might not yet know Jesus and living in darkness? Well, let's read on where uh, an ancient poem is quoted. It says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How do you like to be woken up? Bucket of cold water over you? (laughs) No one wants to be woken up like that. But what if I was to wake you up? I mean, it'd be weird if it was me, because why am I in your bedroom? But for argument's sake. What if I was to wake you up by coming in, speaking gently, rubbing on the shoulder and say, it's time to wake up. You'll be late. You can't sleep. Oh, and I've made you a cup of tea. I've made you a cup of tea. Everything's ready for you. Breakfast is downstairs. It's time to wake up now. You can't stay asleep. You can't stay asleep. Time to wake up. I'll help you get into the day. Perhaps this is a way that we can start to think about how we expose darkness. Shall I try a practical example? Let's try this. What if there was a wedding and you thought the wedding was immoral? You didn't think it was a right union? but you're invited to the wedding. How are you going to respond? How are you going to apply this idea of exposing what you perceive as darkness? How are you going to apply this idea of being a kind, gentle waker-upperer? Well, perhaps to your wedding invitation, you might just say, I'm not going to go. I'm not going. I'd say to simply just not go and ignore might be a case of just leaving a sleeper to sleep and be late. Or as the passage says, left dead and in darkness. Oh, just step away from it, don't go. That's, that's one response. I'm not sure if it's where Ephesians 5 directs us. Or perhaps you could say this is immoral and I'm gonna go. And at that moment, 
That happens at all well-conducted weddings where they ask if anyone here has a reason why this couple may not lawfully be joined in marriage. You stand up and you say, I object! That could be your bucket of cold water moments. I'm not saying there's never a time for that because it's not a rhetorical question, it's a real question. But what if there's a better way? What if invited to a wedding that you thought was immoral, your response was, well, look, I'm just going to go. I don't agree with this, but I'm going to go and I'm going to be supportive, work on the relationship, stay close so they know I care. Sound good? I don't think so. I think that sounds like going and tucking them in. I think that sounds like going and just placing a blanket over that the sleeper might keep sleeping. I know it sounds caring, but here's the danger. Disciplication is about walking close to Jesus for the transformation of people, not close to people for the transformation of Jesus. Perhaps a gentler way is a conversation beforehand. Hey, you matter a lot to me, and I can't wait for you to know and love the Lord Jesus. And I just can't feel right within my spirit that the way you're walking is what he has for your life. I hope you have a great day. I can't participate in it. And I want you to know why. And maybe those who are more creative and thoughtful than me will think about what is the cup of tea that you could add to that? How could you help your friend if you're suggesting another way forward? How could you help them step into that way with care and love and support? How could you shine bright? It's a significant challenge to expose darkness. It's a command, but it doesn't always have to come with cold water, nor should it come with comfy blankets. Walk close to Jesus for the transforming of people, not close to Jesus for the transforming, not close to people for the transforming of Jesus. Shine bright. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness should not dim light. And so finally we're taught stepwise. Stepwise verses 15 to 20. And uh, this is a really exciting part of Scripture, I think, for us. This is a next step in maturity for us all. We're told from verse 15, Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as, sorry, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Put your hand up. Who here has been 10-pin bowling? Okay, that looks like just about everyone. Put your hand up if someone's never seen 10-pin bowling, if you're happy to explain 10-pin bowling over morning tea. Seriously, you won't explain 10-pin bowling to someone over morning tea? Okay. Cole, if you don't know what 10-pin bowling is, Cole will explain it to you after morning tea. Anyway, assuming some knowledge, when we go bowling, where is it that we don't want our ball to go? In the gutter. That's bad. In the gutter is irrefutably not where you want it. And so for the little ones, we put up bumpers because they're only little. They're immature and small, and we don't want them to have that disappointment. Where do you want your ball to go? You want it to be in the lane, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So you don't want it in the gutter. You want it on the lane. This is the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes we reduce our discipleship to let's not do wrong things, let's do right things. That's a great start. When you go bowling, 
Not only do you not want your ball in the gutter, you want it on the lane. Where in the lane do you want it? Why? Okay. Why is that the perfect way to do it? What will it result in? <gasps> the biggest score. Why do I want the biggest score? Because I might have some passion for the game. Because I might have some passion for the game. So, so not being in the gutter is not enough for me. I want to be on the lane in the best possible way. Welcome to wisdom and foolishness. This is more than just doing the right thing or the wrong thing. This is within the context of what's right. How can I be a skillful liver? How can I do wise things? You know I'm a bike rider. I have to break it to some of you. Uh, I have the rights of a vehicle on the road. I can ride on the Princess Highway in peak hour and be in the rights. But as the truck runs over the top of me and I die, I'll be very right and he'll be very wrong and I'll be very foolish. Wisdom is don't be there. That's, just, that's not a smart decision. It's a right decision. It's not a wise decision. That's how life can work in the same way. And Paul gives us a list here, which you can read for yourself, where he talks to us about drinking and things like that. Hey, I've got to tell you, this is where some of the tricky categories come in, where it might be not sinful or wrong, but it's not, it's not smart. It's not wise. Is it drinking? It's not wise to get drunk. Can I press in a little deeper and say, you might not think smoking is a sin, and it might not be, but we know enough to say, that's not wise, that's foolish living. Uh, excessive obesity, it's not a sin, but it's foolish living. Not being punctual, being late, that's not a sin, but it's foolish. It's not a skillful way to make us work together. And so as we grow in maturity as disciples, we no longer just look for, don't let the ball be in the gutter. What's the best possible way to be on the lane? How can I walk in love, like God, like Christ, applying not just right and wrong, but what is wise? How do we serve others? How do we integrate well together? We've been saved by grace through faith to walk anew with Jesus and to call others to walk as well, to walk in holiness, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Because disciplication is indeed a walk of three. Let me give thanks to God for what he has taught us and pray that he deletes what is not necessary. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our, your word to us this morning. And once again, Father, I pray that those things that are true of you may now be galvanized, consolidated and reminded by your Holy Spirit. Father, where, where I may have misspoken, may you delete that from all our memories and move us into your truth, close to you, shining brightly and walking wisely. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.